It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, you know, Rich, uh, this, uh, this particular chapter, the complete story, I want to get into things that people are not learning. People are not gathering any knowledge of, and their whole life experience is just void. And... Uh, and that's leading to a lot of the problems we have. It isn't Democrat versus Republican. It isn't what the age a person is. It's exactly what their life experience is leading them into. I guess so, yes. Yeah. Tell you what, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about families because when it gets right down to it, what is the root of your living? What is the root of your being? And I'll tell you what, people are going to hear this. They're going to say, well, that's really true. Well, let me ask you then, are you passing it on to your children? And are you passing it on to your children deeper and deeper and deeper? Listen to what these little kids are saying. Back in the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s, kids didn't have to have much, but they did have to have that knowledge and that opportunity to trust, an opportunity put right in their heart that when it all comes down to it, it's God, it's the Creator, and made it all possible. I wonder if young people growing up today aren't getting that in their schools and other places where they're learning the things that they need to learn for well, life. I, I tell you, when kids are going to high school, what are they learning? When kids are going to grade school, what are they learning? They're going to junior high school, what are they learning? Because one of the big problems today is they seem to be confused about whether they should use the boys' bathroom or the girls' bathroom. Honest to Pete, is this progress or not? No wonder kids are growing up to be college age and all they have is anger 
I have anger and rage and emptiness uh, in their heart. Well, it's you know what, Dad, and it's so funny, but it's the intellectual elites that seem to be taken up with this notion of not knowing the difference between boys and girls. Let me ask you this. We're hearing a lot about fake news now. We're hearing a lot about, uh, oh, fake news and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. The truth is the news media as a group have formed a club. They are the elitist, and they determine what the people should know and what the people should think about what they say they're reporting factually, and they're not. They all belong to the elitist. Uh, what do we call this now? They are news reporters, and therefore uh, it's up to them to decide uh, what the people should know and what the people should think and how the people should react to life and the circumstances around them, and they are going crazy. And those are the reporters on Fox News just as much as the others because when you disturb their club, when you disturb their little elitist group, of news reporting media, why then, my word, they pull together and they know how to rumple up. Now, I want to use, before we get into the main subject of today's broadcast, I want to get into what happened when somebody went to a, a university in Seattle. Isn't it interesting? It was Seattle, Washington, you know, that has given us so many crazy things. It was Seattle, Washington, where this appeals court judge said, no, the president doesn't have the right uh, to determine who should or who should not come into the country at any given time, so on and so forth. Well, this is what the college students had to say about gender. Now, listen to me, Rich. These are college students. These students have been through grade school and middle school and high school. How would I know whether any of them or ever read a book seriously, or been to any kind of a church or anything else, and this is how absolutely empty they were, except they thought they kind of knew it all. Here it is. In light of all the conversation about gender and identity, we began to wonder if there's even a difference between men and women anymore. We went to Seattle University to find out. Aware of the conversation going on in Washington State right now around kind of gender identity, gender expression issues, and the ability to access facilities on those grounds? Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, you know, there's, there's general neutral bathrooms in like all the dorms and stuff like that. I think that gender is fluid, so if you want to use a bathroom because that's a place and that's a space where you feel comfortable and safe in doing so, then I think that that's completely fine. I think that if whoever you think you are, if you're male or female, then that's the bathroom you should go into. I think if it doesn't really negatively affect anybody, then I think anyone be, should be able to choose what gender they uh, choose to identify as. People, no matter what their gender identification is, they should be allowed to use whatever restrooms they should they, they feel like they identify with. Is there a difference in your mind between men and women? Um, no, yes. I mean, possibly. In general, yes. But I don't know why I think that. Socially, currently, yes, there is. There is no need for that difference to exist, uh, scientifically and logically. If you think that you're a male, if you think that you're a female, that matters more than the biological difference. There's not much difference besides what society forces onto people. And how do you know the difference between men and women? By what people think they are. So you can't like judge someone just on like their looks. I don't think there's any one way to really distinguish between a man or a woman, and I don't think it's necessary. 
Uh, it's not always consistent. It has a high probability, like 98% of the time I can get it right. There is some ambiguity. I think, yeah, there are ways to tell, but then again, you can always be wrong. What would you say I am? Just judging off of your looks, I would say that you're a male. I would probably assume a man, but then you never know. A male. Why would you say that? Based on how I look at you. <laughs> Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, probably. Do you think the difference between men and women matters for any reason? Uh, no, not really. I think most sociologists agree that uh, the concept of gender is more of a societal construct. I do think it matters somewhat, yeah. To me, no. I don't, I don't feel as if it matters to me because at the end of the day, the person is just a person. No, I don't think it should matter. And the differences on a uh, social level are simply a product of a biased society. Then is there a reason to have those labels, male or female? I don't think so. I think that it's, again, a social construct of this binary that we're given at birth. There is kind of a difference, but at the same time, if someone wants to identify as one or both or as nothing, I also find that completely okay. And There may be nothing more self-evident in the natural universe than the fact that every animal species is divided into two halves, male and female. Yet the most intelligent of those species seems to be wrestling with whether male or female are actually real things. Have we discovered something new, or have we become too clever for our own good? Sometimes when I call a lady sir by accident, they get very offended. Yeah. You see, now, maybe Boy. those college students, do you realize how much money was spent on their education, on their advancement, on their growing maturity? It is vacuous at this moment. You can hear it. Oh. But apparently they didn't know they had a mother and a father, and the mother is not the father, and the father is not the mother. There is male and there is female, and all of this is for a reason. Well, that is so depressing to listen to that. It's like you're, you're listening to a society in moral freefall. You know, the Bible says professing themselves yeah. to be wise, they become as fools. And I bet you those were city kids. They weren't brought up on a farm. Well, I tell you what, I, I really don't know, but I tell you what, every mother and every father and every church and every, every adult should be very, very concerned and wake up and smell the coffee. Now, I heard Craig Laurie on Bot Radio Network a while back, and he was talking about parenting. He was talking about raising children. He was talking about bringing them up because they come from a family. They come from a place where there is a mother and there is a father, and the children, the sons and the daughters, know the difference. Now, I want the people to just sit back and listen to what Greg Laurie had to say. You fathers, be a good example for your children to follow. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You never have to teach a child how to sin. It comes naturally and it comes easily. So we need to lead the children in the right direction. Well, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter six. We're in our series that we're calling Happily Even After. And as it turns out, we're talking about parenting today. And I'm gonna zero in on fathers in particular. And the title of my message is Needed Superheroes. 
Now I'm not just talking about biological fathers. We have a lot of them. We also have many of them, unfortunately, that walk away from their wives and from their children. No, I'm talking about a dad that stays married to his wife, a dad that raises his children to follow God and be responsible, a dad that is a godly role model and a leader in the home. To me, that is a superman. Well, let's see what the Bible says to fathers today. Ephesians 6, 4. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. That means to nourish or feed. Another translation says, let them be kindly cherished. We are to be tender in bringing up our kids. It doesn't say knock them down. It says bring them up. That's hands-on. That's involvement in your child's life. Why do we need to bring them up? Because they have a sinful nature that is already bringing them down. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, you never have to teach a child how to sin. It just comes naturally like it came to you. Listen to this. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It comes naturally and it comes easily. So we need to lead the children in the right direction. So you bring them up. And this is a constant process. It never stops. We get some good advice from Moses in Deuteronomy 6. When he says these words, and I'm commanding you today, that be in your heart, and you will teach them diligently to your sons. You'll talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. See, I always have looked for teaching moments with my kids. Uh, and when I say my kids, I mean my grandkids too. Um, I always look for opportunities to share truth with them. Yesterday we got together for a little Father's Day celebration and we're having fun and I started telling Bible stories to them. But I try to do it in a way that engages them because what I want them to say is, tell us another one, Papa. And I'm trying to bring the Word of God to them in a way that they understand. I'm always looking for those opportunities and I think that's a good thing to do in life with our kids. We are to train them up in the way that they should go. That's what we're told in the book of Proverbs. What does that mean? That phrase train up is an interesting one. It literally translated speaks of the actions of a midwife who after delivering a child would dip her finger in crushed dates. This resulted in the baby thirsting for milk. So when it says bring them up, a simple translation would be create a thirst in your child's life for God. Create a thirst. That means you need to live in such a way that they will want what you have. Have you ever noticed that when you go out with someone after church, say for a meal, and they get some food, especially if it's at night, uh, that their food always looks good? Uh, you know, I'll go out with people, and we're gonna get a bite to eat. Well, I don't wanna eat late at night. Oh, come with us, okay, I'll drink water. Yeah, right. So you're sitting there and they order their burger and fries, which I happen to love, and a malt. So you're looking and you're saying, could I have one French fry? Sure, have all you want. And when you eat that stolen French fry, there's something about it. It's like so much better. Then you order your own and your fries are never as good as a stolen one. Have you ever noticed that? 
But the idea is that they had something you wanted and watching them enjoy it made you want it. Could that not be said of our faith? When we are walking with God and we have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it will create in your child a desire to know God. When they see mom praying, when they see dad being a spiritual leader, and they say, I want to be like that when I grow up. Train them up. Create a thirst in them. But also, in verb form, it speaks of breaking and bringing a horse into submission. So it, it's an idea of putting parameters in. You're trying to control something that is out of control. So you put it all together and it speaks of creating a thirst in, but also setting up parameters. You have external boundaries for their protection and eternal motivation. We are to train them up in the way that they should go. Now what does that mean? Well actually another way to translate that would be according to their bent. Uh, the Amplified Bible translates it as follows. Train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with that individual gift or bent when he is old he will not depart from it. I think you'll discover in time that every child is different. Our two sons, Christopher and Jonathan, could not be more different from one another. Christopher, you had to tell him. You had to tell him again. You had to tell him again. Over and over and over. Jonathan, you told him one time. Now, I've really seen this with having four granddaughters because girls are so much different than boys. Uh, the way that they play. My granddaughters like these little toys. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're called Lala Loopsies. Uh, they're like these little plastic dolls. And when you buy them, they come with accessories, like a little dog or a purse or whatever. And everyone has its own accessories. So they'll line up all these Lala Loopsies. And they have all the accessories with every one. Well, now we have little Christopher, uh, the first grandson, and he destroys everything. <laughs> he just, his job is search and destroy. I have this one toy, it's a hammer where you pound balls and he just But even when raised in a godly home, children will rebel. And that is not always a bad thing. It could even be a good thing. You say, how so, Greg? It means they're starting to think for themselves. I mean, don't you want them to be independent? Do you still want your kids living with you when they're in their 50s? I mean, come on. You want them to get out there on their own? get married, have their own families. So if they come back and say, you know, Mom, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? Dad, how could a God of love allow injustice in the world? I'm not sure if I believe this myself. They're going through a process they need to go through and they need to stand on their own two feet and you need to keep loving them. You know, if you go to the story of the prodigal son and the Gospel of Luke, he rebelled against his father he went to a distant land. He made a mess of his life. But there's one thing that boy always knew. He always knew there was a place at home for him. Because when he came to his senses, he said, I'm gonna go back home again to my father. And when he returned, his father ran to him and beat the tar out of him. No, that's <laughs> what he deserved. That's not what happened. The father threw his arms around him and welcomed him home again. I think the main thing is we keep loving our kids. They can escape our presence, but they can never escape our prayers. But I think the most important thing is be that example. I read some interesting stats. 
If mom and dad attend church regularly throughout their life, 72% of their children will remain faithful in attendance. But if only dad attends church regularly, 55% will remain faithful. If only mom attends church regularly, 15% will remain faithful. If neither attends regularly, only 6% remain faithful. You see how important it is to pass this legacy on and not just drop your kids off at church but take them with you and lead them and train them and raise them up and you do this throughout their lifetime because one day they're gone. And that can be gone because they're married. And that can be gone because the Lord calls them home. And that happened to us. Our oldest son was called to heaven. You know, Father's Day is a hard day for me because I think of him. And he used to make me the most amazing Father's Day cards you've ever seen. Christopher was an artist and he would uh, do these beautiful cards, custom, each year. I always looked forward to them. I said, don't buy me a gift, make me a card. And I saved them all. But uh, whoever plans on their child preceding them to heaven. You know, when I was in high school, I was a runner, believe it or not, uh, short distance runner. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty fast for a short time. Uh, Christopher was a runner as well. He was a long distance runner. So we would have races. I'd go to his track meets and I'd race him. And you know, I could always beat him. Even as he got older and I got older, I could still beat him in a race. And I always took pride in that. I beat him every time. So one day we were on a beach, and I don't remember his exact age. I think he was in his 20s at this point. And uh, I said, you want a race? And of course I made it a short race. So it played to my advantage, not his. See that mark right there? Let's run to the mark. You ready? He said, I'm ready. Get set, go. Boom, I took off. And he's right next to me the whole time. I go, oh no. So I'm, I, he's. <laughs> And so I, I, you know, I try to get that little burst of energy. He passes me. He, he kills me. And he passes the finish line. And oh, I was crestfallen and proud of him at the same time. It's like, ah, but good, you know. <laughs> he beat me. And we're in a race in life. And we can think of this as sort of a uh, relay race. You know, where they hand on the baton. Now the idea is we run and we hand the baton on to our sons and our daughters. And then they hand it on to the next generation. It's a legacy of a godly life. We say, okay, I'm done. Here it is. Now you carry it on. So you can say with Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day, and not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. In my case, my son who beat me in the race on the beach also beat me in the race of life and he is in heaven. In effect, he handed the baton to me and I'm carrying on and I'm gonna pass it on to his daughters, to my son Jonathan, to his daughters and son, my grandson. And if God is gracious to my great-grandchildren. Uh, but that's what it's all about. We're here to know God, to walk with God, then we leave this world and we go to heaven. Let's make sure we do that job well. And in closing, there might be some of you, I mentioned prodigal sons, 
Maybe you're a prodigal son. Maybe you're a prodigal daughter. Maybe you've been running from God. The good news is the door is open. God will welcome you back if you'll turn from your sin and ask for his forgiveness. Maybe there's some of you here right now that have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, you can have it right now. Jesus Christ came to this earth on a rescue mission to save us from our sin. He went to a cross. He died there in our place. He bore all of our sin. And then he rose again from the dead. And now he is here with us right now, standing at the door of our lives and knocking. And he says, if we'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. If you've not asked him in yet, do it right now as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your call that's extended to every one of us right now. And I pray for any here that may not yet know you. Lord, would you help them to come to you right now and receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I heard that, I just that just really thrilled my heart. And I was thinking that, of course, he's, he, what he's really saying is one plus one is two. One plus one is two. It's not complicated, folks. When these little kids are given to you on loan from God, why love them and raise them and enjoy them and then mold them and, 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 and bring them to the point where they want Jesus into their heart because it's their decision, not the decision of the family. And you've heard me say over and over again that God ordained three institutions and only these three. First of all, it was the family. It was the family. And second, it was the church to help the family know and worship God. And third was civil government. And I'll tell you this, as our families have broken apart and they're no longer functioning, and then the churches are either absent out of their lives or the churches have gone silent on many, many things they should be speaking about because the Bible speaks about them. Uh, Why then, of course, the civil government grows and grows and grows and takes over and uh, things really get to be a mess. Well, there was a song that Linda Randall recorded some time back. I've always just loved it. And um, and remember, uh, the God of the mountain, the God of the mountain, everybody's happy when we're on top. Everybody's happy when everything looks beautiful. And, uh, and, and God is good. But I want to tell you, the same God is the God of the valley. If you're going through a problem in your family... If you're going through a problem with teenagers that didn't seem to kind of catch it the way you wanted them to, remember, he's the God of the valley. Here's, here it is. Life is easy when you're up on the Like you've never known But things change When you're down in the valley Don't lose space For you're never alone 
Folks, this is Dick Bott with this chapter of the complete story as a public service for you folks, and I'll see you later. <laughs> 